grab your Bible back up, pen in hand, and we're going to get stuck into God's Word. But before we do that, friends, I'm going to pray because this is a powerful and enormously relevant passage of Scripture for us. It speaks powerfully to our circumstances and to what we're called to be. So for us to understand and apply, we're going to need the Holy Spirit's help. So let me pray that we might have just that. Our Lord God, we thank you that we can be together here today. That we have the opportunity to enjoy fellowship and connection, relationship with each other. That you have not called us to walk the narrow road as disciples of Christ alone. But that you have surrounded us with dear brothers and sisters, fellow travellers on the way. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, a passage that speaks ever so directly and ever so powerfully to what we are called to be as your people, we pray that you might now still our hearts, that you might open our minds to your truth. I pray that you might protect me from uttering anything that is inconsistent with your word. Lord, I pray that you might speak to us and that we might hear and that we might obey as followers of Christ. And we pray this in his name and for his sake in this world. Amen. Well, friends, 35 years ago now, we embarked here at NBC on an exciting building project. Moving from Salisbury Drive to this property here, which at the time I'm led to believe was surrounded by paddocks. We then constructed this auditorium, and that has served us well, has it not, for almost four decades. And look, I know Ryan's away, but it's my pleasure to share with you this morning the NBC building project. The next exciting phase in our mission here as disciples of Jesus. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm seeing a couple of concerned eyes, particularly from our elders and deacons. I know I didn't consult with you about this, but honestly, I didn't feel as though I needed to. Because this comes with the endorsement of a much higher authority. It's a building project that doesn't involve bricks or mortar, but something much more important, people. So far in 1 Peter, we've been reminded, friends, of the wonder of God's gracious salvation to us in Jesus. We've seen the, the great blessings that he has bestowed upon us. And last week, as we looked at verses 13 to 21 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, we began to consider how these great blessings must change us personally. We looked at our own individual progress as disciples of Jesus. And today, as we continue on in the next few verses of Peter's epistle, what we're going to look at is the way our living hope plays out in our collective life together. The way that our living hope plays out day by day, week by week, Sunday by Sunday, in our life together as a church family. Peter here in this passage lays before us four family traits 
four traits of our life together as disciples of Jesus. The first one's there in verse 22 of this great passage. And you're right, Ron, it is a great passage. Let me read that verse again. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Just as ritual cleansing purified an Israelite for worship in the Old Covenant, as those who have been washed clean by Christ and are now walking in his ways, Peter begins here with a key change that we experience. Sincere love for other believers. The gospel purifies our hearts and gives us a a new capacity to love others. Now, whilst elsewhere in the New Testament, we're taught to love those outside of the church community, including even our enemies, Peter's focus here is our love for other believers. And notice what he shows us here. There's, there's cause and effect here. Receiving and obeying the gospel creates in us a sincere love for others. That's the first half of verse 22. But we also need to work at it. That's the second half. We, we feel love for other believers when we come to Christ. But we also need to resolve to love others. It's both an emotion and a decision. And we're not just to tolerate. Most adults are, are reasonably okay at tolerating other people, aren't they? But we're called to more than that. We're called to deeply, sincerely love others. This love isn't shallow or, or self-serving. We don't just pretend to care or offer lip service, but truly love without hidden agendas or false motives. It's a love that is born out of the depth of God's love for us. Offering undeserved love to others because that's what God has done to us. What does that kind of love look like? Well, it's taking that call late at night when all you really want to be doing is going to sleep. It's serving others when no one else sees when no one notices, when you won't get any credit. It's coming to a gathering like this and not thinking about how you can be served, how you can be blessed, but how you might bless and serve others. Love's even how we walk into and out of church, friends. It's giving to someone without any expectation of return. It's getting on our knees in heartfelt, passionate intercession for each other. It's forgiving someone who's betrayed you, someone that you don't think deserves your forgiveness and not even letting them know that they've hurt you. It's love that comes at real cost. It's loving those who are hard to love, people we often put in the too hard basket. It's gladly continuing to help even when the need lasts for weeks or months or years. 
It's loving even when it means a plate getting broken or the carpet getting stained. Hard love. Gritty love. Costly love. Church family, I praise God that this happens in our midst. That there are so many in our church family who selflessly love others without fanfare, without expectation of return, simply because they've received such great love for God and they want to extend that to others. I thank God for you. I really do. And I pray that I and that we all might emulate your love more and more. That's the first of our family traits. Sincere, deep, costly love for each other. And he highlights a second in verses 23 to 25. Just as in creation, God brought life through his word. Now he regenerates our hearts through his living and active word, the word of God. Here, Peter contrasts the the finitude of us humans who are of perishable seed, like the flowers of the field. We're beautiful for a season, but it's only short-lived, with God's word, which endures forever. It's imperishable. It always has the power of life. It's transforming lives today, just as it has for thousands of years. And, it was, and it's that word, Peter reminds us there at the end of verse 25. It was that word that was preached to us. It was that word we received. And it's that word that lives forever. And so by implication, that word should be at the very center of our community as believers. The word should be what is on our lips and on our hearts as we gather together on Sundays. It should be the word of God that we are speaking and encouraging to each other. Friends, can I urge you to carefully, prayerfully consider what's on your lips after our service today and throughout the week? Is it COVID? Is it politics? Or is it the living and enduring word of God? Friends, from my conversations this week, I think many of us need to put our phones down, turn our TVs off and pick up our Bibles. Not only will that calm our anxiety, but it means our conversations will actually bless rather than hinder our brothers and sisters in Christ. Peter's going to pick that thought up again in a moment. If you've ever done a bit of gardening, you know that you always need to do some weeding before you try to get anything else to grow, don't you? You've got to do the hard work. You've got to get down on your hands and knees and and do the hard work of digging out the weeds before you even think about planting. And sometimes even a bit of zero is required to stop those weeds choking out the new growth. That's what Peter urges us to do here at the start of chapter 2. As the the recipients of God's grace, we're to to take off our old patterns, just like you would 
dirty clothes at the end of a work day. But notice, and please notice this, in, in keeping with the collective focus of our passage today, there's something about the things that he mentions here. They're community-destroying sins. The community-destroying sins that we can be tempted to let go in a church. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Sins that we can be tempted to, to let go in a church community, but that ultimately destroy a church from within. I did a bit of a word study this week to, to get a sense of what Peter's talking about here. And these are some of the sins that are caught up in the words that he uses. Ill will. Bitterness. Nursing grudges. Grumbling. Acting with ulterior motives. Pretense. Insincerity. Hypocrisy. Maligning others. Gossip. All sins that can and will tear apart a church community. Friends, a church can never be God-honoring and fulfill its calling whilst these practices tear it apart, tear it apart from within. Sadly, I suspect that many of us have seen that in churches firsthand. So what do we do about it? Because the reality is, Every church is full of repentant sinners. We're a hospital for the sick. All of us will at times fall into these sins. And the fact is, friends, I know that you know this, try as we might, we can't put off these sins by the force of our will alone. But praise God, Peter gives us the answer there, the cure in verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. That's secure. Crave pure spiritual milk. What we need is the nourishment and the reordering of our lives that comes from the word of God. God's pure spiritual milk nourishes us, that enables us to grow. This milk is what you might call the, the fundamentals, the basics of the faith. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Can I invite you to turn there with me in your Bibles now? To 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There's a nice little parallel between our passage today and 1 Corinthians 3 that I'd like you to see. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 4. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. 
you are still worldly. The sense there is jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Do you see the connection that both Peter and Paul draw here? Jealousy and quarreling amongst the body is a sign of spiritual immaturity. A sign that we're mere babes in the faith. That we need to go back to basics and learn the fundamentals all over again. In both cases, along with Hebrews 5.13, the apostles are writing to believers who should be so much more mature than they are, but they aren't. And you know how they're proving it? By the way that they act towards each other. Pretty hard hitting for a church like ours, isn't it? Let's personalize this for a moment. Because the sad reality is, my brothers and sisters, that some people never get beyond the baby stage as followers of Jesus. I don't know about you, I just find it heartbreaking when when someone professes to have been following Jesus for many, many years, but they've never grown up spiritually. Heartbreaking. Just like kids, they're unstable, often having really big highs, but then really big lows, insecure in their faith. Easily swayed by emotion and opinion without firm roots in the word. Just like a five-year-old with a chocolate biscuit in front of them, unable to withstand even the smallest of temptations, unable to, unable to delay gratification. Now, that's an issue for anybody who professes faith in Jesus. But Peter's particularly concerned, as Ron reminded us, about these believers because they were beginning to experience a bit of persecution. And if they were still babes in the faith, they weren't going to survive. They were going to fall by the wayside. And so I think there's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Let me tell you, I've been asking it all week of myself too. If you've been a Christian for, say, 15 years, have you grown in each of those 15 years? Each year, have you grown more and more in love with God? Have, have you grown in your love of the scriptures and your knowledge of it? Have you grown in obedience and faithfulness? Have you grown in your prayer life, spending more and more time in deeper and deeper intimacy with God? Have you grown in your service and your evangelism for the kingdom? Or, say if you've been a believer for 15 years, have you basically lived the same year 15 times? falling at the same hurdles, neglecting the word, failing to serve, stuck in a rut. We want to grow into the likeness of Jesus. We want to grow in holiness, love each other deeply, and live sacrificially, friends. We need the right food. We need the pure spiritual milk of the word of God. And so let me ask you, What's your diet like? Do you 
feast every day at the word of God. Do you eat at all? If this is the only Bible you're going to get all week, you're going to be malnourished. And if you are eating, what's your food quality like? Is your growth being inhibited by junk food? The preservatives and additives of a watered-down, no-cost gospel. It's got no nutritional value at all. What's your food like? Friend, I know I've asked this question of myself, so please don't think I'm alone in asking you. Friend, if you want to know why you aren't growing as a Christian, the answer's right here. You aren't in the Bible enough. It's that simple. You aren't in the Bible enough. If you were in the Bible more, having your heart and your mind shaped by its pure milk, you wouldn't need to be convinced of the necessity of prayer. You wouldn't need to be encouraged to come to church. You wouldn't need to be begged to serve. You wouldn't need to hear about a budget shortfall in order to give. You'd just do it. Because you'd see that God's word tells you to. And that'd be enough for your redeemed heart. Friends, is this not a word, a passage in season for us? I must feel like the passage just needs to stop there. It's weighty and hard-hitting enough, but Peter continues. In, in individualistic societies like ours, we often describe ourselves with, with I statements, don't we? I am an accountant. I am a successful farmer. But in in, in other cultures, like most Asian and Middle Eastern cultures, for example, people tend to identify themselves not with an I, but with a we, with, with reference to others. Who, they, who they're connected to is more important than anything about themselves. I just noticed it this week. You see a really cool example of that in the way that Jesus is described in the Gospels as Joseph's son. And it's that kind of mindset, not individualistic, but group focused, that Peter encourages us to adopt here. To not think of ourselves as, as individual Christians, although that might be true, but to think of ourselves as part of the body of Christ, part of the collective community of Jesus. We see that there in verse 5. Just take a look at that. You also, like living stones, are being built into. Do you see there, for, for Peter, for someone to come to Christ was for them to come into the community of believers. Whilst all of his descriptions of Jesus are singular here, all of his descriptions of believers are plural. When we come to Christ, the living stones, we become living stones who are being built into a spiritual house. We become part of this larger structure with Christ as our cornerstone, taking our direction and our lead from him. Take a look at how Peter describes us in those last two verses that are Ron, part of Ron's favorites and they're mine too. Let me read verses 9 and 10 again. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you notice that the collective language that Peter uses there? We're, we're not chosen persons, but chosen people. We're not priests. No, we're a priesthood. Not holy people, but a holy nation. Friends, one of the great dangers we face in the church right now is that of individualism. Of viewing our faith as being just Jesus and me. But can I say respectfully, that's not the faith that we see modelled in the New Testament. It's certainly not the faith that Peter speaks of here. We're called to a collective faith. To follow Christ means to join with, to commit to the community of his disciples. Church fellowship isn't an optional advantage, something that we can, we can either choose or ignore. It's not like a social club. It's the calling of every believer. So just take a look around the room just for a moment. No one's head moved then. Come on, take a look around the room. Friends, we are intimately connected by God's grace to each other. We are intimately connected as a body here under the Lord Jesus. You're not a consumer to come here to receive and then go back to your individualistic life. No, we grow in grace and we grow each other in grace together. Friends, I think one of the clear implications of this is that we need to prize gathering together more than we do. As I heard one person say, we need to guard the gathering. Can I share with you what this looks like in the Smith household? Not to set ourselves up as holier than thou, but just as an example of what this might look like. Our son Peter knows that if he gets invited to a birthday party or an event or wants to participate in an activity, that and if it happens in this time slot, this time where we gather with God's people, he knows that he can't go to the birthday party or he can't do that particular activity, which down here means not doing AFL. It means we go late to that event. Because this, friends, this, this is important. This is significant. This is something to be prized. It's to be guarded. Friends, we need to guard the gathering. And we need to be connected to the body. I just want to speak for a moment to those of you who are joining us online. If you're watching online right now and you're not connected to a church family, if no one's missing you this morning because you're not there with them, if there aren't pastors and elders who know under God that they are entrusted to shepherd your soul, if you're isolated as a believer, please let me urge you, heed Peter's words here. Resist the temptation 
to fly solo. Now, I'm very aware, very, very aware that I'm saying these words in the midst of a pandemic, that there are good and wise reasons, godly reasons, why some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are not here with us this morning. It is wise for them to refrain from large gatherings like this. If that's you, my brother, my sister, please don't feel as though I'm singling you out. But let's be honest. Let's be real. That's not the case for everyone, is it? Because the reality is, it's easier to cut and run. No one's going to disagree with you. No one's going to point out your besetting sins. No one's going to hold you accountable. Lots of other reasons why people don't connect as part of a church. That we Christians are hypocrites who often behave much worse than those who deny Christ. You might have been hurt by a church or a member. You know what, friends, I think we need to own some of that. Oftentimes those critiques are sadly very, very true. But my friend, you need to hear they aren't legitimate reasons for not being part of a church. The irony is, I know, many of the people who need to hear this aren't listening right now. They're not joining us, perhaps, online. And so this is where we, as the body, need to come in, friends. I want to urge you, we need to speak truth to people who profess faith, but who, who are living in unbiblical independence, unbiblical self-sufficiency. We need to call them to repentance, to reject the pride of individualism and to reconnect with the body. Someone who claims to be a Christian, but who refuses to submit to a local church is a walking contradiction. There are no obedient solo Christians. In fact, until the last few decades, the thought would have been impossible. And let me say, it might be that now a Baptist isn't the place for someone. That's sad, but that's okay. And so, let me encourage you in these conversations, please beg your brothers and sisters to find a local Bible-believing church they can commit to that will love them and support them. It's so important that we're connected together in the body. Friends, we've considered a lot today. It feels a bit like drinking from a fire hydrant. I definitely feel that way preaching this passage. But I want to try to bring all of this together with one final question. Is this, what we've, what we've considered this morning, your view of church? Is this what you believe church is? We aren't in God's house. We are God's house, friends. We're God's building program being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is our cornerstone. He's the one from whom we take our lead. But we're not doing that alone. We're all being shaped by and joined together in him, block by block, stone by stone, each an integral part of the whole. God has ordained for us 
to grow together. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it can be abrasive from time to time. But together, by God's grace, we grow. We need each other, friends. I need you, and you need me. And marvelously, as Peter reminds us here in verse 9, when we do this together, albeit imperfectly, together we declare the glory and love of God to this world. Wow. How special is the church? Lord God, we thank you for your living and active, imperishable word. It is the word that we heard preached to us. It is the word that we have received. And it is the word that we need to have at the very center of our community. Lord, there is much for us to chew on, to reflect over, to repent of in this passage today. Lord, we confess that we far too easily fail to love well. We far too easily are self-serving. We far too easily are self-sufficient. We don't recognize our need for each other, that you have made us to grow and to love together. Lord, we want to be men and women to cast off the worldly desires that we once had, to live lives of faithfulness, of purity before you. We confess that far too often we engage in those community-destroying sins that tear apart the body of Christ from within. Please forgive us, Lord, and please help us put this off and to put on the pure spiritual milk of your word that we might grow up in you that we might grow in your love that we might grow in love for each other that we might grow in service and sharing the gospel lord we have much to think about much to repent of much to step into we pray that by the power of your spirit, you might enable us to do that. That we might truly be a spiritual house here in NBC. That, that is being shaped by, founded upon our cornerstone, the Lord Jesus. And that declares your glory to a watching world. Please shape us as your building project, we pray. Amen.